This week on Blue 58, we're living in a post-Aaron Rodgers world. So how will the Packers handle it? Well, it could be a free agent quarterback is the answer. Or maybe not. We'll dive into that question in just a little bit. Then let's take a look at the very weird history between the Packers and the New Orleans Saints. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very excited to be with you again this week. There's a lot of stuff that we have to talk about today, so let's get on the move, starting with our headlines for this week. First and foremost, the Packers and Aaron Rodgers fell on the road in Minnesota on Sunday. You know the story by now. Aaron Rodgers leaves the game in the first quarter with a shoulder injury, later turns out to be a broken collarbone. Now his season is in jeopardy. I had a very bad day on Sunday. Uh, I was on the road in Ohio dealing with some family stuff uh, that I would frankly rather not have had to deal with on, on Sunday because it was uh, it was just a very unpleasant situation for us to deal with. But uh, the plan was to watch the Packers game on Sunday after dealing with the stuff that we had to deal with. But as it turns out, the Packers game was not on in Northwest Ohio. That's fine. Turn off the phone. Catch the entire thing unspoiled later in the day on Game Pass. Went the entire day without talking with anyone other than my wife, my mother-in-law, and my father-in-law. Late afternoon, the game's still on, just coming to an end probably, probably about 5 o'clock. We decide we're going to go get a couple pumpkins for us to carve, seeing as it's Halloween coming up. Uh, We drive to a local local farm uh, in northwest Ohio there, just outside Perrysburg. Not going to name names because of what happens next. We pick out our pumpkins, grab a a bag of caramel corn, some seasonal good stuff. Great time. Heading to checkout. Uh, the guy at the checkout happens to see my wife's Aaron Rodgers jersey, and we have this exchange. Tough one for the Packers today, he says. I say, yes, I have the game on tape, so please don't tell me anything. The man, hearing this, proceeds to ignore my instructions and says, oh, well, it sounds like Aaron Rodgers is gone for good. Keep in mind, I have not seen anything about the game at this point. I have not seen a a snippet of the game action. I've not checked Twitter. I've not checked Facebook. All I know now is that Aaron Rodgers is, in the words of this gentleman, gone for good. So later that evening, when I finally get a chance to open up Game Pass, watch the game, I am expecting Aaron Rodgers to be leaving the stadium on a backboard. Gone for good. Possibly dead. Who knows? As it turns out, it's only a broken collarbone. Obviously very very bad, not quite gone for good, still ruins my evening. I just don't know what to say to this guy. When I say don't tell me anything, what does that mean to you? I have to let that go because there was plenty of other weird stuff that happened at this game. I hate it when the Packers play the Vikings because you get the stupid sound effects from the Minnesota Vikings stadium. The Metrodome, the horn was stupid. The piped in crowd noise was stupid. Somehow they figured out a way to make it even dumber at the new Vikings stadium. What in the world is this new horn that the pa- or that the Vikings play? It's deeper and lower. Here's just a sample of it. Troy Aikman talks over it at the end, but it's just weird sounding. What is this? <laughs> To me, okay, Troy, go away. To me, that sounds like this from Batman. I had to actually ask a Vikings fan 
friend of mine, if there was someone on the Vikings whose nickname had something to do with Batman and that was what they were actually going for, at any rate, it's weird. They play it way too often. They still mix in the old dumb sound, and it's just just silly. The entire game was weird because the Rodgers injury put put the Packers in a weird funk. You could see it on offense. But but the presentation was just weird too. Uh, they had this the the new spider cam going all over the place. It looks great. I think they use it too often. And then we just can't get away from the Fox announcers being stupid. Case in point, Mike Pereira, Tom Brenneman, and Troy Aikman all managed to make themselves look absolutely ridiculous on one play. First and foremost, what is the point of Mike Pereira? He adds absolutely nothing to any game that he is a part of. If he disagrees with the refs and the call that they make, and it turns out that he's right, it feeds into the stupid fan conspiracies that every ref is against their team. If he's wrong, he just looks absolutely stupid. And that's what happened on Sunday. In the third quarter, the Vikings are driving. They're up 14 to 10. And there's a pass to Jarek McKinnon on the left side that obviously hits the ground. The ref calls it a, in, uh, a completion. And the Vikings actually go on to get a first down on that play and a field goal a couple plays later, go up 17 to 10. The Vikings rush to the line. Uh, Brenneman is talking about how the Packers are going to challenge. They don't challenge. Then the Vikings call a timeout for some reason. Fox cuts to commercial break. They come back. So they bring Mike Pereira on for an explanation. He has not seen what has happened, only the replays. And he's in Los Angeles, so he's not familiar with what the game situation is. So they put him on anyway. Here's what he said. Mike Pereira is back in Los Angeles once again. And Mike, are you surprised that that was not challenged? Well, I'm uh, surprised is actually uh, not a strong enough word. I mean, it's it's clearly incomplete. He didn't have control of the ball before it hit the ground. It was simultaneous, so it actually would have been an easy and quick reversal. Pereira there ruffling with some sort of fast food wrapper, I can only presume of some kind. So having heard Pereira's take, Troy Aikman jumps in with what he thinks is going on. This doesn't make a lot of sense. It happened right over there in front of the Green Bay Packers sidelines, and we saw the reaction of the sidelines when the play occurred, and and then Minnesota calls the timeout, and there was plenty of time then to have McCarthy evaluate it, and, and yet no challenge. I, I'm, I'm as surprised as, as Mike Pereira is. Now here's the thing. At this point, Mike McCarthy has already challenged two plays. He challenged uh, a couple completions, one which ended up going in favor of the Packers and one which went against the Packers. Since the one went against the Packers, he's done. He's out of challenges uh, for the rest of the game. You only get that third challenge if you get both of your previous challenges right because they just want to make this challenge thing as complicated as it possibly could be. So at this point, Fox has had two people weigh in on a play that they had a chance throughout an entire commercial break to evaluate. Uh, they have a team of producers, a director of the broadcast, uh, getting in on this play, all giving, getting their chance to, to make sure that they get this right on air and, and don't look dumb. So after Aikman gives his thoughts, Tom Brenneman goes in to start the next play, and he has to pile on two. And just like we saw last week, we have Troy Aikman realizing midstream that someone has said something stupid. McCarthy has challenged two plays in a game. He has one left. He won his first one, but he lost his second. He has one left in the game. Go out to him. 
When Troy Aikman is the one making the most sense, everyone has royally screwed up. It should never get to that point. I digress. I'm sorry for that long-winded intro to this week's podcast. I had a long weekend. I have a lot to get out of my system. So Aaron Rodgers is hurt. This is very bad, right? Yes, it is very, very bad. As we saw on Sunday, Aaron Rodgers going down puts stress on every part of the Packers team. On offense, you have a quarterback who does not have the physical skill set that Aaron Rodgers has, and he does not just simply have command of the offense the way that Aaron Rodgers does. When I say command of the office, you, of the offense, you should intuitively sort of understand what I mean by that. I think anybody who watches the Packers just understands the control that Rodgers has over the Packers' offense. You just don't get that with Hundley. That's not a knock on Hundley. That's just a reality of Aaron Rodgers being an all-time great quarterback and Hundley being a third-year guy. Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have had this level of control over the offense when he was at, at Hundley's age uh, and experience level. He just wouldn't have. We saw that from, from Rodgers at that age. Uh, so so that's not a knock at Hundley, but the Packers' offense does suffer a little bit with him out there instead. But on defense, the Packers are also worse off because they get put in different situations, shorter fields, uh, back out on the field more abruptly than they would be with Rodgers, who, has, uh, who gets the defense out of a lot of jams and doesn't leave them in short field situations very often. He also gives them a lot more room for error. The defense can give up more yards and points when Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback than otherwise. So this puts the Packers in a very difficult situation as they move forward with Hundley. So what do the Packers do as we move into our second headline here? They have two paths. First, stand pat with Hundley or bring in an outside guy. The Packers are going to go with Hundley, and they're going to promote Joe Callahan, as they've done already, and that'll be it. That'll be the way forward. It doesn't sound like they're going to sign a veteran guy from the outside at all. And we bring this headline up because the name Colin Kaepernick has already come up repeatedly, including by us, but uh, in more notable outlets than us, it has come up as well. Mike McCarthy said pretty emphatically on, on Monday that they are not interested in bringing in an outside quarterback, and it's been spun in the national media as an emphatic rejection of Colin Kaepernick. That quote is being taken completely out of context. The original question was from Rod Burks from TMJ4, a guy who I worked with uh, somewhat tangentially in Milwaukee, but whom I, I know and I did work with. Um, he asked the question about how McCarthy's role changes going from Aaron Rodgers to Brett Hundley. He gave a long answer, as he often does, and concluded with a statement on Brett Hundley and Joe Callahan. Then somebody jumps in with the Kaepernick question. I'm going to give you the entire quote in context, at least the end uh, of, of uh, McCarthy's statement on Hundley, um, and then you'll hear the question and McCarthy's response. So here is here is the full thing in context. I got three years invested in Brett Hundley. I have great confidence in Brett Hundley. I got two years invested in Joe Callahan. It's a quarterback room that, that has structure and, and there's a philosophy behind it, the development of it, and it will be applied to the game plan. So I feel great about the room. Uh, it's not a really a concern of mine. I'm, I'm more focused on getting back to playing Green Bay Packer football because yesterday was not was not anything where we needed to be. You give Minnesota credit for winning the game, but that, that we're not going to play like that no more. Mike, injury, so you, would you entertain the idea of bringing Colin Kaepernick in to compete for that backup job? Did you just listen to that question I just answered? 
okay, I got three years invested in Brett Huntley, two years invested in Joe Callahan. The quarterback room is exactly where it needs to be, okay? We're fortunate to have a great quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. We're committed to the path that we're on. We need to play better as a football team. And Brett Huntley, he'll be, he'll be starting this week, and Joe Callahan will be the backup. That is an atrociously long soundbite, and I apologize for that. But I, it's really important to get the context on McCarthy's quote because he's not just snapping at somebody for asking about Colin Kaepernick. He's not interested in the Packers bringing in anybody to compete with Joe Callahan, with Brett Hundley, with anybody who's on the 53-man the roster as far as the quarterback position goes. He just doesn't care about that. And he pretty emphatically gave his opinion on what he thought about the quarterback room, and then somebody asked him about Colin Kaepernick. But for the sake of argument, could Colin Kaepernick help? I am skeptical of Colin Kaepernick helping the Packers right now. And when I say right now, you'll see in a second why I say it that way. I have watched some of the Colin Kaepernick tape that everybody talks about from last season. I have not watched all of it. And for all I know, I could be completely getting it wrong. But I don't know if right now he's really a big improvement, particularly with the way that the Packers play that they do. Uh, Fast routes, a lot of timing, um, even improvisation. I'm not sure that he is at the level of of Brett Hundley uh, at this point. But even more so than that, I am skeptical of the people who are absolutely certain that he is the answer or that he should never play in the league again. Always be careful of the absolutist because there's just no way any of us can know exactly what's going on, the complete story on any of these guys. Troy Aikman actually dove into the, the Colin Kaepernick discussion on Sunday, and I was surprised it took them all the way till about nine minutes left in the fourth quarter to bring up the name Colin Kaepernick. But Aikman jumped in, and he's not a fan. You know, everyone has an opinion on it. I tend to say he's not on a team because he can't help a team. And could he help this team? I don't know. Is he going to come in and learn this offense, having not played as many weeks as he's not played, and be better than Brent Hundley? I don't think so. So there you have it. For whatever it's worth, that is Troy Aikman's take on Colin Kaepernick. So the Packers going with Brett Hundley for now. I say for now because there's something specific I want to mention related to this. I have a piece up on thepowersweep.com right now uh, called Brett Hundley, Sunk Costs, and Quarterback Decisions. Mike McCarthy's quote, I've got three years invested in Brett Hundley, two years invested in Joe Callahan. The quarterback room is exactly where it needs to be, is interesting to me. And I think it's a good reason to support Brett Hundley. You have invested a lot of time in him, in his development, and and growing him as a part of your football team. However, that shouldn't be the only reason because of something called the sunk cost fallacy. What is the sunk cost fallacy? A sunk cost in business and economics is a resource that you've already spent and you can't get it back. You've already spent that five bucks on whatever you spent it on. It's not coming back. The sunk cost fallacy refers to a situation where you allow those resources that you've already spent and you can't get back to influence your decisions for the future. Here's the example I use in the blog. Say you buy a ticket a few weeks out for a movie that's coming out that you want to see. For the sake of this example, let's say it's Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, a movie that you're probably pretty excited to see. So let's say between now and mid-late December, when that movie comes out, uh, the movie starts getting crushed by critics. Unwatchable. 
absolutely terrible. Don't go see this movie. Things are so bad that by the time you're showing, the one that you bought tickets for comes around, you don't want to go anymore. What is the right decision? Do you still go? It might seem a little bit counterintuitive, but actually the best decision is to stay at home. If you don't go to the bad movie, you're only out the cost of your ticket. But if you do go you're out the, and the movie is terrible, you're paying with both your time and your money. If you just paid with your time and decided, nope, not going to go to this movie, it sounds terrible, you could stay home and do literally anything else and actually get some value out of your time instead of essentially paying for the movie twice. The Packers have to avoid this sort of phenomenon with Brett Hundley and with Joe Callahan for that matter too. If both of them are bad and they still think they have a chance to make the playoffs or the Super Bowl or whatever, they have to move on. They can't just stay with Brett Hundley just because he's their quarterback, just because they put this amount of time and resources into him. Loyalty doesn't win those games. The Packers have to get a good quarterback. It's going to cost them the opportunity to get to the playoffs or the Super Bowl if it turns out that Hundley can't play and they just stick with him because they've put these resources in. That's a huge mistake if it gets to that point. And that's why I think there is a non-zero chance the Packers try to sign a guy like Colin Kaepernick. Real quick here, on free agent quarterbacks, it's pretty much Colin Kaepernick or nobody. Look at the list of free agents other than that. Nobody out there even comes close to being as good as Colin Kaepernick. However good or bad you think Colin Kaepernick is, nobody out there, nobody else out there is even close to as good as him. Tony Romo's not coming out of the broadcast booth. One last thing on other free agent quarterbacks, the Packers signed Jared Evans today. It's Tuesday when we're recording this. He is not the answer at quarterback either. He is a project. A big dude, big arm, very raw. Not really clear why he came out of Virginia Tech early. Seems like he really could have locked up his draft status, uh, maybe mid-round pick, third or fourth, even a second-round pick if he had stayed at school another year. Maybe the Packers can develop him. Don't look at him as as any sort of help for this year, short-term help, anything like that. Before we dive into Packers and Saints, I wanted to to make a mention of our Patreon page. I've I've talked about this in past weeks and wanted to mention it again. Uh, We're really excited about the people who have have chosen to support us uh, via Patreon.com. And uh, we're really excited about some of the things that we have going on there. We are looking at adding more value to your contributions there. And we wanted to to really thank you for the, the contributions that you've given us already. The people who have chosen to give us $1 a month at patreon.com slash thepowersweep are enabling things like hosting this podcast on a brand new platform that we really love. Uh, they're defraying some of our hosting costs on the website, thepowersweep.com, which is just fantastic. And you're helping us. Um, Put more things in the works for the Power Sweep and Blue 58 down the road. If you would like to be a part of that, uh, help us out in in a monetary way that's less than the cost of a T-shirt or any of the other options that we've mentioned, uh, sort of along those lines, head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep uh, and get in on the ground floor there. We very much appreciate it. Uh, it's a, it's going to be a big part of what we're doing in the future, and we're, we're really grateful for the contributions of from those of you who have chosen to donate that route. Patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Check it out if you get a chance. Blue 58! The Packers are set to play the Saints this Sunday at Lambeau Field. The Saints come into this game at 3-2. and two. They are at, in second place in the NFC South. The Saints are what Mike McCarthy calls an uncommon opponent, meaning these two teams don't get together very often. 
And that's really, really true, actually. The Packers and Saints have only played 24 other times in their history, even though the Saints have been around since 1967. These two teams, who have been pretty good for quite a long time, have never actually met in the playoffs. But despite that relatively sparse history between the two teams, they do have a bunch of random weird connections, uh, notable games, trades, competition for coaches going on between them. So let's take a look at a few of them. Starting in the first year of the Saints' existence, 1967, uh, the Saints picked Paul Horning in the NFL expansion draft that year. Uh, supposedly, Vince Lombardi somewhat surprised that the Saints actually picked him because he had some serious back problems. It wasn't clear if he was ever going to play again, and as it turned out, uh, he did not. Uh, for his part, Horning was not surprised. He said uh, in the paper that he actually expected to get picked by the Saints, and I guess that says a little bit about what Paul Horning thinks of himself as a player. Uh, I think that's probably a, a good reflection of, of his own estimation of his abilities, even as an aging player. Uh, the Saints also traded uh, for Jim Taylor, uh, Horning's backfield mate in Green Bay, he played one season with the Saints, was pretty bad. To start the 1968 season, they said, we want you to play on special teams. Uh, he said, no, nah, I'm not interested in that, and then retired before the start of the 1968 season. Pretty unspectacular career in New Orleans, but as it turns out, the Saints have actually added Jim Taylor to their ring of honor. So he is part of their ring of honor despite that one pretty lackluster season in New Orleans. In 1975, the Packers played in just the second game ever in the New Orleans Superdome. Uh, this was in October of 1975, and the Packers once led 16 to nothing in this game, but then went on to lose 20 to 19. Uh, Bart Starr was the coach for the Packers during that particular game. Archie Manning was the quarterback for the Saints in that game during the middle of the, the sort of Aints run there. It was an ugly, ugly stretch for the New Orleans Saints. Not a lot happened super notable between the, the late 80s, um, the late 70s and 80s between the Packers and Saints, although there was a couple stretches where they played four years in a row and then I think five years in a row in the late 70s and early 80s. Fast forward to 2003, three, things really start to get interesting between the Packers and Saints, and they've remained fairly interesting ever since. Uh, 2000, not 2003, excuse me, 2002, that year, the Packers signed Joe Johnson, uh, giving him a six-year, $33 million contract, which included a $6.5 million signing bonus. This was during the peak of the Mike Sherman as general manager era. Um, over the two years he was with the team, uh, all they got were two sacks in 11 games, a lot of injuries, and a lot of disappointments. The Packers cut him before the 2004 season, and he never played again in the NFL. I recall this pretty vividly because I was super excited when I heard the news. Um, Leroy Glover one of Johnson's teammates on the defensive line in New Orleans was also a free agent this same offseason. And back at the time, ESPN had just expanded into the very prestigious Sheboygan, Wisconsin market. And on ESPN Sheboygan, sitting in the parking lot at Southside Alliance Church, I heard the news that the Packers had signed a Pro Bowl defensive lineman who last played with the New Orleans Saints. For whatever reason, I did not hear the name at that time. I assumed it was Leroy Glover. 
it was not Leroy Glover. Very, very disappointing uh, for the Packers and for the 2002 version of me. Uh, ultimately, I got over it. And the Packers did too. In fact, they uh, took the Saints for a pretty good one here in just a second, which we will talk about. Fast forward to 2004. Mike Sherman, still the general manager. And you know where this is going. Because that year, Mike McKenzie, the Packers cornerback, decided he was being paid too little in comparison to other corners, both on the Packers roster and elsewhere. He demanded a bigger contract or a trade. When the Packers didn't give it to him, he switched to agent Drew Rosenhaus, a name who's, uh, who should be, or should be very familiar to NFL fans from that time because he was a, a huge problem for a bunch of NFL teams. Uh, played one regular season game for the Packers in 2004, McKenzie did, uh, before the Packers decided to trade him to the New Orleans Saints. They got a second-round pick and backup quarterback J.T. O'Sullivan, which turned out to be a pretty fantastic haul. Think about if a, a, a corner a cornerback was traded midseason today, about this time of year, actually, um, a little bit earlier, but but uh, about this time of year, into the season, more than a quarter of the way into the season. Imagine giving up a second-round pick for a guy that you know wants a new contract. That's just insane. O'Sullivan was nothing for the Packers, but that second-round pick turned into Nick Collins the following spring, who went on to make three Pro Bowls and won a Super Bowl with the Packers. As uh, contentious as it was at the time, I think the Packers actually came out ahead uh, in that Mike McKenzie debacle. In 2005, the Saints and Packers played again. Packers have only scored 50 points 11 times in their history, and the Saints are one of the only teams to experience that since 1983, one of only four teams that is to experience that. This game on October 9th, 2005 at Lambeau Field, the Packers beat the Saints 52-3 to in the middle of a 4-12 and season. Uh, notable stats from that game, Najee Davenport, the leading rusher for the Packers with 54 yards on 12 carries. Antonio Chapman, the receiver, also carried twice for zero yards. Robert Ferguson led the Packers with three catches for 54 yards. Aaron Rodgers completed his first pass that day, a zero-yard completion to Vontae Leach, one of two fullbacks on the roster for the Packers that year. Al Harris had two interceptions that day, also had a sack, took one of those interceptions back for a touchdown. And the highlight of the day, Nick Barnett returning an interception 95 yards for a touchdown, 52-3, to the final score in favor of the Packers. In 2006, the Packers were looking for a new head coach. Sean Payton, who would go on to become the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, was a serious contender to be the head coach for the Packers that year, and he really, really wanted the job. Uh, Gary did a great post on this uh, earlier this year uh, and really delved into the history of all the guys the Packers considered, along with McCarthy. Payton sounded absolutely devastated to get the news about uh, not getting the Packers job. So here's his book, Home Team, Coaching the Saints and New Orleans Back to Life, uh, talking about getting that Green Bay job. Quote, I'd flown up to Green Bay and had a terrific interview with the Packers. That's a great organization, a team I had followed since I was a kid. I felt optimistic about that possibility and was expecting to hear something soon. Without a doubt, Green Bay is where I wanted to go, knowing the tradition coming from the Midwest, growing up around all that, and my wife Beth, too, I knew she could see herself in Green Bay despite those winters that never end, end quote. 
Well, Peyton did hear from the Saints, or from, well, he heard from the Saints, but he heard from the Packers as well. Apparently turned down for the Packers job by Ted Thompson via text message. The big revelation here for me being that Ted Thompson both has a phone and knows how to send texts. What other secrets is Ted Thompson hiding? Finally, in 2011, uh, well, two more, not finally in 2011. Uh, 2011, the next notable time the Packers and Saints got together. Uh, This was the first game after the 2010 or 2011, I guess, NFL lockout. Uh, happened on September 9th, 2011 at Lambeau Field. Just your standard 42-34 to Thursday night football victory for the Packers. Randall Cobb had a 108-yard kickoff return that game, but I'm always going to remember this game for a very different reason, uh, especially notable for me because I had to miss the first quarter of this game because I was getting trained on how to run a pop-up vegetable stand Stationed at the side of the road in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin, I was working there for cash because I had just quit my job at a very miserable radio station uh, in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. Thankfully, my life is considerably better now, and if I miss Packers games, it's for much better reasons. Do what you got to do to get by. I wouldn't recommend working at a vegetable stand at the side of the road in Sturgeon Bay if you can avoid it. Sturgeon Bay, a fun place. Vegetable stands, not so much. Finally, 2012, five years ago, the last time the Packers and Saints played, September 30th, 2012. 519 remains in the third quarter of this game. The Packers are leading 21 to 17 and driving. Aaron Rodgers rolls out to his right, throws, and gets his face mask grabbed and poked in the eye on an incomplete pass. He has to come out, and who should come in for his first ever official snap as a member of the Green Bay Packers? None other than Graham Harrell. What does Graham do? Uh, Down near the goal line, the Packers have a huge opportunity to go up, maybe put the Saints away. What does Graham Harrell do on his first ever NFL snap? Well, he trips on an offensive lineman's foot. Fumbles the ball, and the Saints recover. Four plays later, they score an 80-yard touchdown and go up 24-21. to The Packers have to rally for a score as Aaron Rodgers come back, comes back and leads them to victory. They do win, but Graham Harrell made it awfully interesting. So what do we expect from the Packers and Saints on Sunday? Well, I'm expecting a lot of points for probably the Saints and hopefully the Packers, but uh, I think uh, probably going to be a Saints win in this one. The Packers just in a tough spot here. And unless they get a huge effort from their defense, I I think the Saints are going to take this one. But we will have a more complete preview here later in the week at thepowersweep.com. Well, I've got you here. Got a questioner this week from a listener by the name of John. He has a last name, but if you are this listener, you know who you are. And if you're not this listener, I don't think you really need to know his last name. So John asks, uh, it is interesting to see how the decision to let Julius Peppers go has turned out. He costs $3.5 million this year and has 6.5 sacks. $3.5 million is the same as Ahmad Brooks. I know it's a bit unfair because Beagle played heavily in the plans, Vince Beagle that is, and they could not predict Brooks's injury or Beagle's injury, I assume. However, $3.5 million for a known entity that seemed to find two or three big plays a game seems like a high upside, low-cost option. This is especially true in a league where you can never have too many pass rushers and on a roster where we currently have a few. 
nice-to-haves. I'm assuming that's positions uh, where it would be nice to have a few extra bodies. It would be interesting to hear your thoughts on this in an upcoming podcast. Well, that podcast has arrived, John, and I do have some thoughts. First, let's take a look back at what we wrote on the time. When he signed with the Panthers, I said this. It's less a worry about losing productions and more a concern about the amount of competent pass rushers on the Packers roster. Currently, the Packers have Nick Perry, Clay Matthews, Kyler Fackrell, and nobody else as far as pass rushers go. The Packers almost can't worry about production at this point. They really just need bodies. Pepper's impact as a turnover-producing machine also can't be discounted. In just three seasons, he's produced a dozen turnovers by himself. Haha, Clinton Dix and Morgan Burnett produced 14 combined. Uh, produced 14 combined. That sort of production is hard to replace, and the Packers will need to find someone to step up. So has Ahmad Brooks, the Packers signing instead of Julius Peppers, stepped up? No, but that's not really his fault. He's been injured, and I think the same would go for Vince Beagle, who is also the guy the Packers were counting on to step up in lieu of Julius Peppers. The bigger question, I think, then and now is about the amount of pass rushers the Packers have. I think Ted Thompson builds his roster a lot like you do when you play a game of Madden. You kind of just get your two starting guys at the outside linebacker position and just go from there. You don't play backups a whole lot because you really don't need them if you've got two good starters. Unfortunately, that's not really how the Packers deploy pass rushers because they like to rotate through a bunch of guys. It keeps guys fresh. Uh, it allows them to play at high intensity all the time, and it allows them to get into some interesting sub-packages. As a result, I think the Packers need a lot of pass rushers, and they've never really taken a volume approach when it comes to getting pass rushers on the field. So should they have signed Julius Peppers? I think so. I think $3.5 million for Julius Peppers would have been a terrific investment. And the worst part for me is I don't think this was a mutually exclusive thing. The Packers could have signed Julius Peppers to the contract that he got with the Panthers and done literally everything else that they did. They could have signed Ahmad Brooks. They could have drafted Vince Beagle and still had plenty of room to do whatever they wanted to do. I think they should have signed Julius Peppers, and I think some of the stuff we're seeing with the defense now is a result of them not uh, pursuing pass rushers more forcefully. Thank you very much for the question, John. And as we close out the show for this week, I want to remind you that if you have a question, any of you, not just John, uh, you can reach us a variety of ways. You can find us at thepowersweep.com. We are at thepowersweep on Facebook and Twitter. And if you choose to reach out to us via email, check out thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. You can support us at patreon.com slash thepowersweep or buy a t-shirt uh, at teespring.com. Search for The Power Sweep there. If you'd also like to help us out in a, in a less financially motivated way, you can give us a review on iTunes if you want. Uh, no pressure there, but we do appreciate it if you choose to give us a rating. We always love to hear from you. Any feedback you give helps us make the power sweep and Blue 58 that much better. And better stuff like that makes all of us smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we're all trying to be. I am John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58. I'm all down